Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Boot Camp as we study Parshat Bo, Tufshin, Pei Aleph. want to thank our sponsors, Alana Mark Rothenberg, Rachel Feiner, who continue to sponsor in memory of Azriel Feiner. I want to thank our special sponsors for this week, Marsha and Tom Friedman, in memory of Marsha's mother, Leah Bas Moshe, Liazel Schloss, Fagi and Michael Novogroder, in memory of Fagi's father, Rav Yaakov, Moshe Ben Yisrael, Nassan Rabinowitz, the great Rabbi Jacob Rabinowitz. And Chavon Frayim Casper, sponsoring for the entire week the learning care at Ket Torah in memory of Ephraim's mother, Chana Sarabas Yisrael Yehuda, Adel Casper, Chaim and Ephraim's daughter in law, Daniela Shana Basia Hoshua Falik, and Chava's grandfather, Mordechai Mendel Ben Svi, Mendel Palak. Thank you. We're at a transitional moment here in the United States of America. I'm recording this year right after the inauguration that just took place a couple of days of the new president, the 46th president of the United States of America. When we, Davin, in a shul in the United States of America, as they did in uh, Tsarist Russia and in so many other countries, there's a special prayer that is said for the current standing, whether it's the king, whether it's the czar, whether it's the president. And the same tefillah that we said last Shabbos, we'll say this Shabbos. Sometimes we're not sure how much respect we should show to a king, to a president, to a prime minister, to a czar. Happens to be that the tefillah that is said for such an individual is actually not a prayer out of respect for them. It may be one aspect of it. It's really a tefillah that they should help us, save us, and hopefully we define the us broadly for the benefit of the country and in particular for the Jewish people that are in those communities. In many ways, the more we dislike them, the more we're scared of them, the harder we should pray. And I discuss this not to be political, because that's an old story, but how do we deal with someone like the Pharaoh? How do we deal with Paro? Do you show respect? Does Moshe show respect? Or is there a certain point where it's enough? He may be the Paro by title, but look at the way that he's treating the Jewish people. And we come in this week's Parsha to a transitional moment. Because it seems like on the surface, Moshe has had enough of Parah. The Pasuk tells us in Shemos Perik Yud, Pasuk Vav, Moshe is warning him about Arba. We're now in the second set of Makot. We had the first seven last week, the last three this week. And Moshe tells him what's going to happen. And as opposed to saying, paro, he left Paro's presence, there's an additional word. Look at this word, Vayifen, he turned away from Paro. We have seen this term previously in the Torah of Vayifen. We actually saw this Perik Zayin, Pasuchov Gimel, in last week's Parsha, about Paro turning away, Vayifen Paro, we saw this in Shemos, Perak Beis, Pasig Yud, to Pasig Yud Beis, look inside those Psukim, that Moshe, Vayifen Chovacho, he turns this way and that way, and he doesn't see anyone that's willing to stand up for the Jewish people, not even Jews, Vayaches HaMitzri. The term Vayifen seems to be a fundamental term that there's a transitional moment. Something has just changed and things will never be the same. And there is such an approach to the way Moshe is dealing with Parah. 
The term Vayifen is that he turned away from him in disgust. It wasn't just a Vayetze, but he seemed to no longer show him respect. This is the approach of a great Hasidic master. And we're going to start today with a Hasidic master because it's timely. I'll show you the support as most Hasidic masters have in Rishonim when they make such revolutionary points. But then we'll show you this is really not the mainstream opinion. There's a great Hasidic master who's actually better known because of his brother, or he's often identified with his brother. His brother was the great pre-Megadim, who was not a Hasidic master, Yosef and Meir to Omim. 1727, lived to the end of the 18th century, 1792, who was born in Lemberg. This is his brother, and eventually is a German, identified as a great Rav in Germany, buried in the Frankfurt Cemetery, Jewish Cemetery. But he also was a student of a very famous Hasidic master who seemed to have a great influence on him. And that was the Degel Machen Ephraim, Ramosha Chaim Ephraim, who's a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. And we know that he had other great Hasidic masters that influenced him. And his name, a very special name, was Shalom. Rabbi Shalom Taumim. He was a Rav in Romania. They recently discovered his grave and he has a sefer on Chumash that is called Orat Torah. We have it available today in two volumes. He also wrote an important work on Shabbos. I actually knew about that sefer earlier, Or HaShabbos, which is on in Yane Shabbos Kodesh. And he points out that at this moment, Vayifen, Moshe basically is saying to Paro, you are no longer the Pharaoh. He quotes from a Pasuk in Yeshayahu. Check it out, Isaiah 24, 21. Chapter 24, verse 21. That all the power of any leader comes from God. That's what's being discussed in Yeshayahu. Every president, every prime minister, every czar is serving at the will of the Creator. And there could come a certain point where Hashem says, you are no longer the leader of your community. Maybe by name. You know, we see this sometimes that someone is a king or a prime minister or a ruler and they go into exile. They go to another country. We know many of incidents like this in history. The bottom line is they're no longer in control. And Moshe had the sense, or maybe it was a prophecy, or maybe he understood this just rationally according to this great commentary that Moshe showed power of respect up until this point because he was the Pharaoh. It was good for the Jewish people. If you have respect for authority, then you'll have respect for all authority. It's hard to have respect for Hashem if you can't even respect human authority. But this is only up until a point. And at this point, and you have to analyze why specifically at this point, which is not our discussion. At this point, Vayifen Vayetzemi in Paro. At this point, he turned away from him just like he would turn away from anyone else. He, his back to him is literally what he's describing. There is a point in the message of this commentary where a person no longer deserves respect. It's very interesting that you actually find this in the Ibn Ezra, in Perik Yud Pasuk Vav, that there's a certain point for he named Moshe Yatza Me'es Para below Rishuso. There was a certain formality in place. You only come at the will of the king. You leave at the will of the king. 
Moshe just walked right out on him. That's what Vayifen means. So we do see, according to this approach, that respect has to be earned. Now, this is true, whether it's a Rebbe, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a parent, a king, and maybe there is a certain point where you could lose that respect and we no longer have to show respect to such figures. Where exactly that line is, that's a great discussion have, to have at the Shabbos table. You can't decide on your own, but it's worth evaluating, and that's why I'm discussing it this week, because the Torah is always timely. But I want to share with you in full disclosure and honesty that this is not the mainstream position. Because if you look at Rashi, later on during Makas Bechoros and Perik Yudal of Pasuches, what a theme for this week. Rashi tells us that even during Makas Bechoros, Moshe Rabbeinu showed kavod to Paro because he was the Pharaoh. And I'm sure he was concerned about the security of the Jewish people. As long as Paro is still the Pharaoh, respect is granted to him. What's happening there is, Moshe tells Paro that what's going to happen is, I'm going to come to you, and all of your servants are going to come bowing to me, saying, let the people come out. Now you'll notice, as Rashi points out, that Moshe said, it's not you, Paro, that's going to come bowing down, submitting yourself to Moshe and ultimately to the will of God. It's going to be your servants. But at the end, we see in the text, it was actually Paro, and Moshe knew this. So listen to Rashi Yud Aleph Ches. What does he do? Chela Kava Lomalchus. Even during Makas Bechoros, much later than what we're hearing about in Arba, Moshe felt the responsibility to show respect for the throne. Even though eventually it's Pharaoh himself who goes down and says, get up and get out of here. That's the position of Rashi. This has been the position of Rashi going back to Parshas Vayechi, where even the father Yaakov had to show a certain level of respect to Yosef because of the crown. And this position of Rashi, I say it's the mainstream view because it's explicitly spelled out in the Medrash, Medrash Rabbah, as well as in the Mechilta. But this becomes an opportunity to talk at the Shabbos table, not only about President 46-45, but to talk about the consistent approach of a Jew in exile. And how do we, as Gerim, as strangers in a foreign land, even though it's a great land, how do we relate to authority in the area of respect? And how do we deal with respect to all people, people who we agree with, people who disagree with, people who we like, or people who we consider to be adversaries of our ideology? For the second piece today, we're going to really fast forward to the very end of the Parsha and to the last Pasuk in the Parsha. I want you to consider in this Parsha the dramatic shift that takes place between the first half and the second half of the very end of the Parsha. You see, in the second half of the Parsha, what I'm calling the second half, the Jews are no longer passive, sitting back and watching the show, Moshe and Aaron going into Paro, watching the Ten Mako taking place. The Jews are told, HaChor you know, this is your moment, this is your time. You're going to actually start keeping track of time 
unlike a slave. You're going to have a Rosh Chodesh and you're going to have holidays. And the Torah spells out a bunch of mitzvot in this parsha: Karban Pesach, Peterechem. And at the very end, the last mitzvah in this parsha, it seems to just be thrown in, is one of the places in the Torah where we have the mitzvah of tefillin. And even though the mitzvah of tefillin only applies to men, this message applies to men, women, and children. The Pasuk says about tefillin, the very last Pasuk, Pasuk Tezayin, os al yadcha. We know that tefillin is meant to be a sign on your hand. Now if you look inside, you'll see that yadcha here is not spelled the way it is typically spelled. It is spelled here, the last letter being a he. Now the Gemara Menachos learns from this, and we're not going to go through all the technical details, that the tefillin are placed on your weaker arm. You would think they should be placed on your stronger arm. And this happens to be the halacha. A righty puts on his tefillin on the left hand, and a lefty puts on his tefillin on the right hand. So there's a great, great Rav who's living today. He's a Talmud of Rebavadya. He was actually one of the last ones to spend time with Rebavadya. His name is Rav Aaron Zaka. He has a yeshiva. It's right across from Machana Yehuda or Yom Tov. All of his institutions are called Ar Yom Tov. We have a beautiful, beautiful selection of his teachings in a set of svarim called Torah da Parsha. And he's our contemporary teacher today. I'm going to use what he says built on an Arachayim HaKadosh that we've used many times. You see, the Arachayim HaKadosh asks the question. It's really a question in the Gemara, but the Arachayim dramatizes it. Why wouldn't tefillin, something so important, be put on the stronger arm? You know, in general, we go with Yemin, the Yemin Hashem. And it's true whether you're a righty or lefty, there's an idea of the right of Hashem, which is symbolizing the strength. But the bottom line is, when it comes to tefillin, why is a righty or a lefty putting the tefillin on their weaker hand? If we're carrying the os of Hashem, it should be on our stronger hand. And he says something here that I think is worth developing further, and that's what I want to do. He says, Hashem is telling us right at the outset of the first set of mitzvot that are given, that you may think at times that I'm too weak to do a mitzvah, but you're not too weak, because tefillin, the symbol of Hashem's presence in this world, or one of the symbols, is able to stand on the weaker arm of a human being. And the message here is when you think that you are weak, maybe too sick to be able to do a mitzvah. Obviously, if you're too sick, really, and you don't have to do a mitzvah. But sometimes, you know, maybe we're a little lazy. It's too cold outside to get out of bed on time to daven. It's too cold outside to go to shul in a time that it's safe to go to shul and for those that it's safe for. Maybe we think our minds are too weak to be able to involve in Talmud Torah. I'm expanding this idea further. Think about the fact that tefillin, such a holy item, which represents, of course, so much deeper what's inside of it, is able to be fulfilled and must be fulfilled on the weaker arm. We can achieve, Shalom Baum wants to apply this, we can achieve so much more than we think. 
We think we're tired, we could wake up. We think it's too cold, it's actually warm enough. We think we're too sick, we actually are well enough. We think we have too little background, we could still achieve greatness. Rav Dessler, in his Yom Narayim lecture, says, we say, I've mentioned this before. We say to Hashem, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to fulfill mitzvahs ba'ones. Now the bottom line is ones means that you're not required to do mitzvahs. The Gemara tells us in the Dharam, ones rachmana patre. If a person, for example, is rachmana l'slan in a coma, they can't do mitzvahs. They're not punished for it. If a person is truly too sick that they can't get out of bed, they're not chayiv to do the mitzvahs. So why are we saying, So the answer, of course, that he gives, Rav Dessler gives, is sometimes what we think is a justification, is just an excuse. And here we are in the parsha where the Jewish people are starting, no longer to be slaves, no longer to be passive, but to be activists, we shouldn't allow the Yetzirah or anyone else to tell us that we can achieve greatness. We can. I want to conclude this with something that I heard directly from the mouth of Rav Aaron Soloveitchik, Zechatzadik Levracha. And I heard this from Rav Aaron Soloveitchik after he suffered a stroke where it was so difficult for him to walk down a hall in Yeshiva University. He would literally scream from pain, but he would still come and give shear. He's a living example of this idea. He may have actually been an Ones, but he did not accept that justification. And he said that it's in this week's Parsha where the Jews are told the first mitzvah that you have to take the set, you take the Avodah Zarah, the sheep, which is the Avodah Zarah of the Egyptians, and you have to take it from them, have the courage, and Mishko you take the physical strength, you as slaves, and in the face of your masters, you have to show them defiance. This took place on the 10th day of Nisan. This was the first Shabbat HaGadol. It was Shabbos that year. And Rav Aaron Soloveitchik said the reason why it's called Shabbat HaGadol is because this was the day when the Jewish people became Gedolim. This is when they matured for greatness. And he said that's why we call when a boy becomes Bar Mitzvah, he's a Gadol. When a girl becomes a bat mitzvah, she has achieved godlet, because this is a reflection of the maturity. So the mitzvah of tefillin just becomes a symbol of being placed on the weaker hand. The weaker hand is an instrument for greatness, because we could become even greater when we think that something is within our reach, and even beyond our reach, we could achieve it. Have a great Shabbos.